Welcome to the Exchange Church Podcast. You can find us on Facebook as well as Twitter and Instagram at Exchange Houston. The following message is from our lead pastor, Jared Brooks. And, uh, but we've been in the middle of a series called I Am the Exchange. Somebody say, I am, I am. the exchange. Come on, I am the exchange. So in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's hanging out with them. And he says, who do men say that I am? And they, they kind of gave, some say you're Elijah. They gave him all these kinds of answers. And then Peter looks at him and says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And when he says that, Jesus, he looks at Peter and he says, you know what? This revelation that has been given to you, wasn't given to you by man. This is a revelation that only God, only my Father in heaven could give you. And then Jesus makes this statement. He says, upon this revelation, I'm going to build my church. Who's going to build it? Jesus. Who's going to build this church? Jesus. He says, upon this revelation, this is Jesus talking. He says, I'm going to build whose church? My church, his church. And he says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. That's pretty awesome. So he's the builder of the exchange. So I am? am. Come on, I am? am. The exchange. And who built the exchange? Come on, that's it. Jesus is the builder. And then if you go over in 1 Peter, Jesus is talking to Peter and he says, listen. He says, you are the living stones that will be used to build my spiritual house. Come on. You are the living stones that he's going to use to build this spiritual house. I was going to have you say, come on, say I'm a stoner. No, but you're not. But you are the living stones that God's going to use to build this house. That means that this morning you're not here by accident. That means that he picked you. You are a stone that he's placed in this house for a specific time, for a specific purpose, for a specific reason that God wants to use to build this house. When I say build this house, that means build the kingdom. I'm not talking about numbers or finances. I'm talking about building the kingdom of God. There's people outside of these four walls. They've got to know how amazing God is. God's so amazing, so awesome, so powerful, so loving, so forgiving. Come on, that's a good amen. So full of grace and so full of mercy. People outside of this church, they got to know. How are they going to know? We are the living stones that he's using to build a spiritual house. That's what we've been talking about the last few weeks. And that all sounds exciting, being the exchange, being the church. I am the church. This building is not the church. I am the church. And he's using me to build the kingdom of God. And all those things are exciting. But let me tell you something. The road is not always easy. Amen? I mean, those of y'all that had an easy path, y'all just ignore me for a few minutes. But those of y'all who've had some some tough times in your life, you've ever gone through a rough patch, and I know that's probably only one or two of you've ever had anything difficult in your life. But for some of us real people, life is tough. (laughs) Life is tough, amen? Now, I guess everybody in here has always had their bills paid and, and never needed anything. You've never had blowouts and never had breakdowns in your car, never had anything stolen. I had a, when I moved to Houston, the first month I was in Houston, I'm a big UFC guy. I went and watched UFC 69 and the Toyota Center is the first ever UFC in Texas. 
And I went and watched it at Toyota Center. I came out after the, the event was over, and I ran across the street trying to cover my head because it was raining. I ran across the street to the parking lot, and I ran through the parking lot, and I... There's the red truck. There's the blue truck. Somebody took my truck. Somebody stole my truck. I had lived in Houston one month. And you know what got on my nerves? Is everybody's response. You know what they said? That's it. I don't like that response. <laughs> Welcome to Houston. Oh, I'm going to punch you in your face. <laughs> Welcome to Houston. <laughs> They stole my truck. It was awful. I got my truck back, and they had only, uh, they broke my ashtray and stole. I had probably $20, $30 and quarters in my ashtray. They stole that. They stole my speakers and my amp. I had a, I had a pro box in the back with uh, two 15-inch JBLs. It, it thumped. It, my, my truck thumped. I was the guy that annoyed all of you. As I'm rolling down, you know, riding dirty, they see me rolling. Hey, and uh, so my, my truck kind of bumped. You know, I set off alarms as I go by. It was awesome. So anyway, that, that story happened. And then I live in an apartment, and I'm loving life. I had my pickup, and then I had a 2006 yellow and black TL, Suzuki TL 1000. Twin turbo, dual Yoshimura pipes. It sounded like a machine. Blah, 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 blah. It was a Jixer, and this sucker was fast. It would do 180 like no problem. And one day, I'm preaching the next morning. It's a Saturday night. I'm preaching the next Sunday morning at 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning. Bow, 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 bow. I open the door, and it's my neighbor's. And he, he says, hey, man, they just stole your motorcycle. What? Yeah. A bunch of Spanish guys picked it up, laid it over in the side of a, in the back of a Suburban and drove off. Are you serious? So you know what I did? I walked out and I talked to the cops for a few hours. And I, I knew I'm preaching in just a few hours. And I was like, it's a test. And I just stood there. So you know what I did that afternoon? I took my helmet. I had a black, white, and yellow helmet. Nice helmet. I had a Joe Rocket racing jacket, Joe Rocket gloves. I took them out, and I laid them where my cover was. They took the cover off my bike and stole my bike. So I laid them where the cover was and just left them there. So I was thinking if they come back, at least they can get my helmet and the jacket and stuff. I don't need it anymore. And somebody took it. <laughs> but I didn't get angry. I just let it go. But what I'm saying is that stuff happens. Stuff happens, you know? My truck's been broken into. I've had stuff stolen out of my truck. I've, I've struggled making payments at times. I've struggled making ends meet. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I've struggled when you have no food and no money, and you're like, man, I'm so hungry. I'm sick of ramen noodles. You ever felt that way? I felt that way. So, so sometimes it's not always easy. So turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter number 6. And I'm about to release a revelation to you about feasting in the famine. Somebody say feasting in the famine. Feasting in the famine. Stand with me. In uh, 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 7, we're dealing with a time 
in the nation of Israel's history where they are going through some of the most ugly, ugly, difficult challenges they have ever faced. And uh, so we're going to read in 2 Kings chapter number 6, and you're going to see what I'm talking about here. It says, starting in verse number 26, Then as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him saying, Help, my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord doesn't help you, where can I find help for you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? See, he's being a smart aleck, okay? Let me paint that, make sure you're catching the tone in his voice. He's being a smart aleck. There's a lady on the wall. She's like, king, I need help. And and they're going through hell in Israel. And the king says, if God's not going to help you, how am I supposed to help you? If if God himself isn't helping you, why are you calling out to me? How am I going to help you? And the king said to her, what's troubling you? She answered, this woman said, give me your son that we may eat him today. And then we will eat my son tomorrow. Yes, this is not an error. This is what the Bible says. So we boiled my son and we ate him. And I said to her on the next day, give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. Now it happened that when the king heard the words of this woman, that he tore his clothes. Now, when he tears his clothes, this is an expression of anger at Elisha and at the Lord. This is not anger because of the sin that they're living in, which caused the curse to be upon them, which caused the famine in the land. This right here, he's tearing his clothes out of anger towards Elisha and the Lord. Okay, and it says, and as he passed by the wall, the people looked, and, and there underneath he had a sackcloth on his body. Father, I pray right now, give us revelation, God. Let us grab hold of the word that you're speaking to us this morning, God. Let us understand that as we go through difficult times, God, that we don't have to suffer in those times, God, but you've called us out of that famine, God. You've called us out into prosperity, and so teach us, God, how to feast in the midst of of difficult times. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. It says, as he passed by the wall, the people looked, and underneath he had a sackcloth on his body. Okay? So this sackcloth represents a time of mourning. In other words, the king was going through the same thing that all of Israel was going through. He was going through the same thing that the people were going through. Now, I've been through some hard times. I had my truck stolen. I've had a motorcycle stolen. I've had uh, a gun stolen out of my truck. I, you name it. They've taken it from me. Okay? But I have never once gone through a time so difficult that I thought about boiling my kids. Right? Now, I'm, I'm being honest here. Okay? I want you to think about that. Has life ever been that difficult that you had to consider that? This, it sounds kind of funny. When you read it, it just doesn't even sound real. But they were in such a nasty, nasty, desperate place. Okay, everything was going wrong. They had nothing. They had nothing to live for. Even the king himself was in a time of mourning. And they were so desperate that they were eating their own children. And if you go, if you go back and you can look and, and check this out later in Leviticus chapter number 26, verse 27 through 29, the Lord tells them, he says, you sin despite me. And because you sin despite me, I'm going to punish you seven times over so bad that you will eat the flesh of your sons and daughters. 
He warned them in Leviticus. And then if you go into Deuteronomy, he warned them also in Deuteronomy, I think it's chapter 28 or so, at the, at the end of that, verse 53, 57, he says the same thing. He says, you continue to sin despite me, and I'll punish you. I'll punish you. It, the famine will be so bad, you'll have to eat your kids. Isn't that terrible? Isn't that awful? So they had this warning, and they continue to live in sin, and then they, they're now living in the punishment of their sin. And there's nothing to hope for, nothing to look for. This is a bad, bad, bad place if you're the children of Israel, okay? And I know that this morning, for some of us, we can't even comprehend. We can't even comprehend, and we're sitting here right now saying, I would never get to that point. You've never been in that situation to know how bad your mind is broken, your body is broken, and you just suffer and suffer and suffer. People are dying every single day in this famine. And then, it's so bad, flip to chapter 7, verse number 1, Elisha steps into the scene. Elisha said, listen, God's word the famine is over. This time tomorrow, there will be, uh, tomorrow food will be plentiful and handful of meal for a shekel and two handfuls of grain for a shekel. The market at the city gate will be buzzing. The attendant, whom the king leaned for support, said to the holy man, you expect us to believe that? Trap doors are going to open in the sky and food come tumbling out. Elisha continues, he said, You'll watch with your own eyes, he said, but you won't eat so much as a mouthful. And it happened that four lepers were sitting outside the city gate, and they said to one another, what are we doing sitting here at death's door? Now, really pay attention to this. If we enter the famine-struck city, we're going to die. If we stay here, we're going to die. So let's take our chances in the camp of Aram. Let's throw ourselves on their mercy. If they receive us, we'll live. If they kill us, we die. We've got nothing to lose. Verse number five. So after the sun went down, they got up and they went to the camp of Aram. Now this is the enemy's camp. This is not a good place they're going to. Not a man. And they get to the camp. When they got to the edge of the camp, surprise, not a man in the camp. The master, this is talking about God, made the army of Aram hear the sound of horses, a mighty army on the march. They told one another, the king of Israel has hired the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to attack us. Panicked, they ran for their lives through the darkness, abandoning tents, horses, donkeys, the whole camp just as it was. Running for dear life, these four lepers entered the camp and they went into a tent. First they ate and they drank and then they grabbed silver and gold and clothing and they went off and they hid it. And they came back, entered into another tent and they looted it and again uh, hid, hiding their plunder. Finally they said to one another, we shouldn't be doing this. This is a day of good news and we're making it into a private party. If we wait around until morning, we'll get caught and punished. So come on, let's tell the good news to the king's palace. So we're going to skip down to verse number 17. So the king ordered his attendant, the one he leaned on for support, to be in charge of the city gate. So they've gone, these four lepers have now gone back into the, to the 
to the city, and they've explained what's going on. And so now we're at, at verse 17. So he, he orders his attendant, to, the one he leaned on for support, to be in charge of the city gate. The people turned into a mob, and they poured through the city gate, trampling him to death because they heard this incredible news. This was exactly what the holy man had said when the king had come to see him. Every word of the holy, of the holy man to the king. A handful of meal for a shekel, two handfuls of grain for a shekel. This time tomorrow in the gate of Samaria with the attendants, sarcastic reply to the holy man. You expect us to believe that? Trap doors are going to open from the sky and food's going to come tumbling out. Followed by the response, you'll watch with your own eyes, but you won't eat so much as a mouthful. Proved to be true. The final stroke came when the people trampled the man to death at the city gate. Okay? Now, I know I just gave you a lot of words. We're going to break this down. But I want to talk to you today about feasting and the famine. Okay? So how do you feast in the famine? How do you feast in the middle of, of such a tragic, difficult time in your life? How do you celebrate when everything in your life seems to be going wrong? How do you stand when all you want to do is, is fall? It's kind of tough in the middle of famine to celebrate and to shout. Today I'm going to answer those questions. I'm going to give you some principles that the Lord gives us right here in this passage that we just read. And I want to encourage you, if you can, take notes. Uh, write some of these things down. But if you want to feast in the famine, there's a few things that you have to do. Number one, you must listen to the right message. Okay? So you have to listen to the right message. In this story, we see... Elisha, the prophet, he comes in the middle of this horrible situation and he says, hear the word of the Lord, okay? So he's telling them, I've got a message from God that I need you to hear because God literally spoke to Elisha and told him, you go tell them, hear the word of the Lord, that this thing is about to turn around. God spoke to him and so Elisha goes in and he declares the word of the Lord. Now, Elisha is a very interesting character, okay? If you don't know anything about Elisha, he spent the better part of his life following and hanging out with another guy named Elijah, okay? Now, Elijah was a powerful, powerful prophet. I mean, Elijah seen some crazy things happen. One time, he's facing all these prophets of Baal, and he calls fire down from heaven after he's already soaked the altar, and he sees a miracle. And then he kills all the prophets of Baal and their families. And then there's another time he's on Mount Carmel and he's talking to King Ahab. And he tells King Ahab, he says, shh, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. You better get out of here. And then he looks off and he, he seven times he sends a servant to look. And the seventh time the servant says, I, I see a cloud, but it's about the size of a man's hand. Elijah says, we better get out of here. And he tucks his cloak up. He tucks his robe up into his belt and he takes off running. The Bible says he beat the king and his chariots into the city. And then a, the sky turned black and a, a rain came, flooded the place. Elisha sees some crazy, crazy miracles. And he's hanging out with Elijah. Uh, uh, Elijah saw all these miracles. And Elisha's hanging out with him. And he says, you know what? I want what you have. I want, I want double what you have. Everything that you do for the kingdom, I want double that anointing. And Elijah tells him, he says, you want that? Then I'll give it to you. I'll give you double of everything that I have. But here's the catch. You've got to see me when I go to heaven. So you've got to stay with me. And when I go up, when I'm taken into heaven, I'm going to throw down my cloak. And that anointing and that power that I have, you'll have double. 
And Elijah didn't make it easy on Elisha. There were times where he said, hey, Elisha, you stay here. I'm going to go in the city and I'm going I'm to have a meeting. And Elisha said, hey, buddy, I ain't leaving you. Where you go, I go. I'm staying right beside you because I'm going to see if you disappear. And he stayed right with him. And you know what happened? The Bible says there came a point where God took Elijah into heaven. And on his way up, the cloak came down. Elisha took that cloak and he picked it up. And he received exactly what the prophet told him. He received double, double the anointing. Double the power. Double the presence of God in his life. That's this guy. That's what I'm talking about. So when, when I'm talking about Elisha, I need you to hear uh, the kind of man, the kind of prophet that this guy was. So Elisha has now stepped onto the scene, okay? He stepped onto the scene, and uh, he's followed this guy around, which that's a whole other message in itself. If you ever want something from God, if you want the real presence of God in your life, you can't just come to church all haphazard and, and just hope that something's going to happen. You have to be diligent, Come on, somebody say diligent. You have to be diligent in chasing the presence of God and saying, I, that's what I want. I'm not just going to sit back here and, and hope something powerful happens in my life. I'm just going to come to church and be in a, a spectator and hang out in my seat. I'm not really going to do anything. I'm not really going to worship. I'm not really going to invest in, in my time, talents, and my treasure in this place. I'm just going to kind of sit here. If God wants me to move, God will move me. Just like Elijah told Elisha, if you want something, then you better chase me around. You chase me around. You be diligent. You follow me. And that's what happened. And that's, I think, a big word for the church this morning. That if you want something to happen in your life, you have to be aggressive and be on the offensive. Amen. So back to 2 Kings chapter number 7. Elisha who followed Elijah around, comes in, he receives this double anointing, he steps onto the scene, shows up in the middle of this terrible famine and severe circumstances, and he begins to prophesy. He says, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. 2 Kings chapter number 7, he stands up and he says, this is what God says. Listen, church, don't you want to be a part of a church where men and women are praying and they're actually hearing the word of God? Amen? Don't you want to be a part of a church that are actually hearing the voice of God, that are taking their direction and their marching orders from God himself and not just some agenda or some self-help book that they found at, at Barnes & Noble or some Christian bookstore that here's how to grow your church in seven steps, but they're actually listening? They're listening to the word of God. So he stands up and he says, here's what God is saying. Listen to what God is saying. You have to listen to the right message. He stands up in the middle of severe famine when, when people are boiling and eating their own children. And he says, listen, this, this thing's about to turn around in 24 hours. The famine is going to be over. It's going to stop. I declare this with boldness that it's done. You see, when you're bold, you hear when 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 you're bold, when you hear from the word of God, when God speaks something directly to you, it gives you a sense of boldness. When you start leaning on your own ideas and resources, you don't have boldness. There's no confidence there. Maybe for certain agendas or certain 
events. Maybe you got enough ideas or personality to build something. But when God says something to you and you know it's God, there's a boldness that comes in. And Elisha has this boldness and he stands up. And so I, I declare today with boldness that the Exchange Church is a regional church. This is not a church just for this little block or two or three or four. This is a regional house and we're going to see hundreds of marriages restored to the kingdom. Amen? Come on, do you believe that? We're going to see hundreds. I believe that we're going to see thousands of youth come through the doors of this church and they're going to know Christ. Come on. I believe that our children are going to lay hands on the sick and they're going to be healed. Do you believe that? I believe that broken people are going to come into this house uh, burned out by churches, burned out by religion, burned out by pastors, and they're going to come in here broken with no hope, and we're going to see them restored. Not because of this church, but because he is using living stones to build a spiritual temple. I believe that. I declare that boldly to you because I hear the voice of God saying, I have given you an anointing and a power to reach this city. Not reach this city because we're cool. or We have good musicians and, and, and we, we're innovative. But we're going to reach the city because there's a spirit, there's a power of God that's going to draw people in. I speak boldness that we're going to see millions of dollars come through this house offerings and tithes and fundraisers and grants and it's going to enable us to advance the kingdom of God. Do you believe that? So Elisha stands up in the middle of a famine and he says, this is what God says. Within 24 hours, this thing is going to turn around. God is coming through and he's about to shake things up. But I want you to look at what, what it says in verse number two. So an officer whose hand the king leaned, answered the man of God. Elisha was speaking to the king. I want you to get a picture here. In the Bible, kings always traveled with advisors. They always listened to advisors. So you got to get this picture. Elisha comes in, and he's speaking to the king. So the king is sitting right here, okay? Come here, Cody. Come be my king. So the king is standing here. No, sit, sit down. The king is, is seated. Elisha speaking to the king, and he always had an advisor. All the kings had an advisor standing next to them, standing on the right hand. And as Elijah speaking to the king, the advisor is doing this. Everything Elisha said, the king's was the, the advisor, the attendant, who, who the king leaned upon. Do you get what I'm saying here? So uh, Elisha is talking to the king. These advisors, these attendants had so much power, they would speak to the king, and they would literally make decisions for the king. The king would carry them out. But they even had the power that they could speak for the king. So Elisha's talking. The advisor keeps doing this. And finally, the advisor, he gets so smart-alecky. I just want to punch him. And he says, oh, I see. He said, that, that's what's going to happen. The trap doors are going to open out of heaven. God can't do that. God can't do The king didn't say that. The, the advisor, the attendant said that. He's standing here and he's advising the king and telling the king what he thinks. is. He's translating whether I think this can happen or not. You know, based on my skills and my ability and my knowledge, my degree, my expertise, my background, my bachelor's, my master's, my doctorate. I'm telling you this probably not. You know what? This is not going to happen. And he speaks out and he says, this is going to happen. God can't do that. 
You know what Elisha said? Elisha didn't get mad. He didn't get upset. He didn't get defensive. He looks at the attendant and he says, not only is it going to happen, but you're going to see it and you're not even going to partake in it. Whoo! That's awesome. Isn't that powerful? I mean, burn, mic drop right there. Mic drop. That's what I would have done if I was Elisha. I would have said, you know what? Not only after it happens, you're going to see it, but you're not going to partake in it. Mic drop. Bam. I'm out. Black Mamba. <laughs> Some of y'all don't even get it. You don't even know. What happens, the advisor stands up, not the king. He says, even if God opened up the windows of heaven, this could never happen. You see, it's one thing to question and say, you know what? God, he can. I don't know if he, you know, God didn't do this. It, it was his. But it's another thing when you start saying God can't do that. God can't do that. I've done that before. Have you ever done that before? I know, I know I've shared this story a dozen times probably in this church at the beginning. Um, but when I started, when I felt called to pastor this church, God told me that he would never allow me to pastor people until I learned to pastor my neighbors. And I thought, what does that mean exactly? So I started looking up things, and I thought, well, neighbors, people around you, people you're close to. So I kind of started interpreting it. So Shelly and I decided, here's what we're going to do. When we get home from work in the afternoons, we're going to hang out in my front yard instead of just going in the house like we always do. Uh, we're going to hang out in my front yard, let the kids play out in the front yard, and I'll see if we meet a couple people. So we started meeting people. And uh, we met, I don't see Daryl and Cola, Daryl's uh, mom's been in the hospital, but we met Daryl and Cola and hang out with them. And, hey, Daryl, you want to play on the softball team? And I meet this other guy across the street, Caddy Corner, his name's Anthony. I meet this other guy right next to me, his name's Pablo. I meet Miss Jackie, she's on the other side of me. And I meet all these neighbors. Um, but there's one neighbor that I didn't approach because he wouldn't fit in in my church. And so I just left him alone because he wasn't like us. He don't fit in in church. You know what I'm saying? So I decided at that moment what God can and can't do. God could probably reach Daryl, probably touch Miss Jackie, he could probably touch Anthony, could probably minister to Pablo, but he could never minister to Mike. I didn't know Mike. I just saw him, knew him from a distance. And I've shared this story, so I'm not going to go into detail, but... Through this process of God really showing me that it's not my decision on who God can touch and who God can't touch. Who God wants and, and, and all that. I just kind of learned to shut my mouth. Mike is here. Okay, Mike's been a part of our church for a year now. He's been coming faithfully. Mike and Laura and his whole family come faithfully. Me and Mike hang out all the time. One of my closest friends. So I learned real fast that uh, I can't decide what God can and can't do. Okay, so this advisor standing next to the king, he's hearing what Elisha's saying, and he's like, God can't do that. God can't do that. It'll never happen. So, so these trap doors are going to open up, and Elisha said, oh, yeah, it's going to happen. And you have to be very careful the sources that you allow to speak into your life. Okay, you need to be very careful the sources, because what you lean upon, you will fall upon. Mm. See... Many times we lean on our own reasoning. We start to, 
to doubt what God says. We start to lean upon our own revelation. We start to lean upon our friends who have no supernatural faith in their life whatsoever. But we listen to what they're saying and we start going, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. You know, it does make sense. I know God told me to do this, I think. But, you know, really, they probably know more than I do anyway. So, and we start leaning on that. But Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Amen? Do you believe that? So my question to you is this. What are you leaning on? The second question, who are you leaning on? What message are you listening to? I'm going to get Cody and uh, Brian to help me this morning. We're gonna, I'm going to give you a little illustration that you've probably all seen. But I want you guys to stand right here. I'm going to get Lexus to come up here. Okay? And uh, you know what? Now let's do this. Flip around this way. You guys get on that side. Lexus, get here. Lexus, you stand up on this chair. Stand on this chair. You face these this way. Okay? We're going to do the trust fall, except here's the thing. Okay? Y'all seen this? Now, but here's what I want you to catch. Lexus, you cannot turn around and look. But I want you to listen. This is, I'm, I'm going to be the word of God to you. I'm going to give you an example. The Bible says, trust in the Lord. Now, I'm telling you, these guys are there. They're going to catch you. So I don't want you to doubt. I don't want you to fling your arms. I don't want you to, to hesitate. I don't want you to look at them. But I'm telling her, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own and say, in all your ways, acknowledge me. And I promise you're going to be taken care of. So I want you to drop. <laughs> okay? So she did that. Okay? You can, you can sit down, Alexis. You guys stay up here for a second. The chair scared you, huh? <laughs> okay. So the, the point is, is the Bible says to trust in God with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. Trust in God with what? Come on, what? All your heart, every bit of your heart. If we ever did what this verse is telling us to do, we would be unstoppable. You get that? If we ever fully trusted God with everything within us, we would be unstoppable. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. I was telling Lexus, you're going to be okay, okay? You're going to make it. These guys are going to catch you. I promised her these guys were going to catch her. And so you got to listen to the right message. But number two, you got to resist the voices of doubt and unbelief. The king, now he's sitting there and he's listening to the prophet Elisha speak to him. He's got his attendant, his advisor that he's leaning on, talking into his ear. And what does the king does? He takes the prophetic word that came from God and he tosses it out. And he listens to this word that's coming in his ear, who he was leaning on. Be careful what you lean on, you'll fall upon. Okay? So I'm going to ask... Um, Mia, come here. Mia, I want you to stand up in this chair. Face everybody. You have to realize that every prophetic proclamation that comes from God will have a poisonous response from the enemy. Okay? So every time you hear God declare something over your life, in your life, over your finances, over your job, over your business, 
over your, your giving, over your promotions. When God speaks words over your life, there's always going to be a poisonous reply, proclamation from the enemy. So, guys, Mia, you can't turn around, can't look. Now, when I count to three in a moment, I want you to fall. But, oh, the guys are not there, you can't turn around. They might have moved a little bit. Maybe. Maybe they've moved. Maybe there's only one of them. They might be closer to the ground, so you might actually hit the ground. But we're going to try to not hurt you, okay? But maybe. So we're going to go three, two, one. Ready? Three. Wait, wait. Guys, y'all. Okay. One of, oh, they're not even back there. Don't look. Don't look. They're not even back there. They're not even going to catch you. You're going to hit your head. Okay? So when you fall, I want you to brace for the fall because it might hurt a little bit. We have insurance. Okay? One. Two. Whoa. Two. Whoa. You get ready? The only one of them is going to try to catch you with his foot. One. Two. Whoa. Three, okay, go, no, 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 go, go, no, 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 no. Okay, see the hesitation? When, when God speaks into our life, we hear it, and we're like, okay, we're going to do this. And immediately the enemy starts going, whoa, 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 are you crazy? That's not going to happen. And we start doing exactly what she did. We start tensing up. We start doubting. We start questioning. Are they actually there? Is God actually behind me? Is God actually listening to me? Is this going to work out? Does he understand? Does he understand what I'm going through? Does he understand the brokenness in my life? Does he even get that I'm hurting right now? I can't make it. I can't make it. We start doubting. We start, and then what we start doing is we start taking matters in our own hands. Because we're not so sure that God can actually handle it. So God, can you catch me? Because this word says, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. The word lean in this, the word trust, when it says trust in the Lord, that word actually is translated to mean lean so much upon that you will fall. So in other words, you lean so much on God that, that you have nothing on your own. Okay, that everything that you got, all the trust in the world is only on him. That it doesn't matter what you do, what you think, that everything's on him. And that if he left you, you're, you're done. That's what it says when it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. Thanks, guys. So our job as believers is to be so fully engrossed in that trust that we know, we know no matter what the situation, no matter what the, the enemy is whispering in our ears and this attendant is whispering in our ears, we've got to remove all doubt, resist the voice of doubt and unbelief because it's just a lie. It's just a lie. Do you believe that? The next, the next point I want to bring up is I want to talk about the four lepers in this story real quickly. The four lepers, and it's going to bring me to my third point. You must make a decision to do something. Okay? Point number three, you must make a decision to do something. You got to make a decision to do something because the Bible says that they were looking at the city gate. 
Okay, these four lepers are looking at the city gate. The city gate is closed up tight because the camp of Aram is not too far away. And so the enemy's camp is not too far away. They could come in and try to destroy the city. The city can't take that. So they've got the gates shut tight. Okay, but there's a famine in the land. There's a famine in the city and the city is dying, dying. So you got these four lepers are sitting outside the city gate and they said, you know what? Here's what we could do. We could go into the city. We could just go to the city, but if we do, we're going to die. We could just sit out here where there's no food and where we, we're just lepers, and we're going to die. Or we could go over there to the enemy's camp. They've got food. They've got food. And, and we could actually go and, and throw ourselves at their mercy and just, just walk in and present ourselves there. And if they receive us, we win. Okay, if they receive us, then we eat, we feast, we live. If they don't, then we die. So choice number one, we die. Choice number two, we die. Choice number three, we die. So out of four choices, we got one, and that's go throw ourselves at their mercy and, and hope for the best. So that's what they do. They get up and they go. Listen, if you're going to feast in the famine, you've got to get out of this leper mentality, the victim's mentality, because all the lepers, they're locked outside of the city, and they just stay there, okay? And most all of them just stay there, and they die, okay? They have this leper mentality. And you know what? That's exactly where the enemy wants you to be. Did you notice in this story that the enemy, which is the camp of Aram, they're the enemy of the city, okay? The, the city... And, and they never once attacked the lepers. Isn't that odd? Because the city's all tight and it's closed up. The lepers, they're just hanging out on their own with no defense system at all. And yet the enemy never once attacked them. Why? Because they were right where they needed to be. They had no hope. They were just left there to die. Why bother? Sometimes that's the way the enemy is with us. He didn't even mess with us because we're already, we're already got the victim's mentality, the leper's mentality. We're just hanging out to, to die. We're just sitting around, poor me, oh my, nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. Guess I'll go eat worms. <laughs> right? No hope. No hope. No destiny. No vision. No future. We're just hanging out to die. Listen, tell me, I got good news for you. You're not done. You're not dead yet. And as long as you have breath in your lungs, as long as you have air in your lungs, all you have to do is stand up and declare the word of the Lord that he's not finished with me. He's not finished with me. I'm going to make a stand. I'm going to stand up. I'm not going to sit here and die. I'm not going to sit here and wallow around and self-pity, but I'm going to stand up and I'm going to do something. That's what the lepers did. That the only way they were going to make it is they had to do something. And here's what's powerful. They stand up and they said, okay, here we go. There's four of us. There's four of us. And I'm, I'm sure the whole time they were walking on the road, they were talking about, okay, um, I'll, I'll start first, okay? I'm going to start first, y'all. I'm a better speaker, okay? I'm a better speaker. Y'all stay out. You stutter. You smell. You're ugly. So I'm going I'm to talk. And so they, they're walking into the enemy's camp. 
Little did they know that as soon as they stood up, oh, come on, somebody. As soon as they stood up and started walking, little did they know that the king of all kings, that God himself caused a sound to hit the enemy's camp. They heard horses just pouncing on the floor. They heard armies marching. They said, oh, no, the Hittites are coming after us. Oh, no, the Egyptians, they're coming after us. We got to get out of here. And the Bible says that they left. They left everything. They didn't even grab their weapons. All, now if you go on and read, all along the side of the road, they left all their weapons. They, left their, they weren't even ready for a fight. They just took off. So as soon, I'm, I'm declaring to you right now that as soon as you stand up and you do something for the kingdom of God, God will cause your enemy to start running. He's going to hear a sound, and they're going to run, and they're going to flee. So your, your promise is already taken care of. All you got to do is stand and do something. These four lepers had no power. They weren't fighters. They weren't like secret ninjas that were going to go in and drop all these people. Okay? They just got up. Somebody say, get up. They just got up. They got up to do something. They were tired of sitting around just hoping life was going to change one day. Hoping life is going to just turn around. One day I'm going to, a job's going to accidentally fall in my lap. They got up. To do something. And when they did, God, let me say something. When you get up to do something, it triggers God to do something. Did you hear me? When you stand up to do something for the kingdom of God, it triggers God to do something on your behalf. God has instilled inside of you purpose. God has invested his son, his spirit, his good works, his divine destiny inside of you these lepers had to make a decision to do something some of you today you have to make a decision to do something see indecision is a decision did you know that your indecisiveness that's a decision procrastinators avoid facing fear we can't allow fear to control us You've got to make a decision to do something. That you've got to look at things differently. That you've got to have a new perspective. What they do, they got up and they went. Things were getting worse and worse and worse. They got up and they went. Probably all the other lepers that they passed by on the way were going, what are you doing? What are you, where are you going? This doesn't make any sense. God can't do that. The Bible says they get there and everybody's gone. Everybody's gone. Everybody's gone. God's asking you to step up today. He's asking you to be more involved in this place. He's asking you to be a living stone that's actually living, not just a stone. Some of you have a calling on your life. Some of you have a calling to sing, and you should be up on stage leading people in worship. Some of you have a calling with young people and with, with teenagers and with kids. Some of you have been blessed to be a blessing. God's asking you to step up, get up, do something, invest your time, your treasure, and your talents to make an impact on the kingdom. Come on, somebody say get up. At the same time, the enemy takes off and he's gone because something's triggered. Their fear, they run, they hear the sound of horses, they hear the sound of armies coming at them, and they fear, they run, they leave everything behind. These guys, they stood up, and the Bible says that, that without faith, 
it's impossible to please God. They were in this moment where nothing seemed like it was going to work, but they had to do something. They, they made a decision. They said, you know what? We could stand here and we could, we could take all of this and, and eat and drink and just enjoy life, but that's not right. We got to share it. We got to go. We got to go to the palace. We got to tell somebody. And that's my fourth point. You must share the blessing with others. They walked into their blessing and they were there for just a few minutes and they went to the first tent, the Bible says, and they ate and they drank and they got gold and they silver and they got all this stuff and they went and hid it. And then they go in the second tent and they're doing the same thing. And then they realize, they said, wait a minute, wait a minute. God has blessed us to be a blessing. We've got to share this awesome news, this powerful, powerful news. We've got to share it with people. So they go to the king's palace and they tell the king what's going on. And, and the whole city just starts rejoicing. They just start celebrating. What? The, the camp is empty? This is our chance and there's food. And there. I mean, can you imagine you've been eating, you've been killing your own kids. And all of a sudden you have this revelation. So they stand up and, and they're ready to make a difference. And the Bible says that the king told his attendant, the one that he leaned upon, he says, hey, go man the city gate. Go watch the city gate. And a mob rushed out of the city. So much so that it killed the attendant. Just like the man of God, the holy man, had prophesied that you're going to see it, but you will not have one mouthful of the blessing. See, this, this God that we're talking about, he's so awesome. Do you believe that? Yeah. How many of you, God's ever done something in your life? Come on, raise your hand. Hold it up. Don't put it down yet. God's done something in your life. He's blessed you some way with a job or finances or family or whatever. Done something, and you know it was God. Come on. You know it was God. You believe that? Okay, put your hand down. So why in the world would we not share that? If we know that God really did something in our life, why would we not share that? Why would we not talk about that? Did you know the word gospel means good news? Why would we hold the gospel and the key of the gospel and the, the miracles of the gospel and we hold those to ourselves? The gospel's to be shared. So they go and, and they share it with the, the city. And everything that Elisha said came through. The advisor saw it with his own eyes, but he didn't partake of it. See, listen. God's already done some phenomenal things in this house. But I prophesy to you this morning that if you step out in faith, if you get up and you do something, if you step out just with a dream, with a moment, and, and you allow the fear to just disappear in your life, God's going to take that and he's going to do something amazing with it. The enemy and the, the doubt and all the things that just keep attacking your life, God's going to break it down. He's going to send it running. I was praying this week and I was praying over this message and I was praying over the church and God spoke to me and said that there is a double portion anointing that's come up on the exchange. Do you believe that? A double, it's not like what Elijah saw some great things, some powerful things. But when Elisha came in, Elisha said, I want, I want more. I want to see something different. I want, I want a, a greater anointing. And there was a double portion anointing that came. I promise to you that as long as you walk in faith, 
As long as you step out and trust God and get rid of that fear and doubt and the flailing of your arms and the looking back to make sure that there's somebody back there, God's going to do amazing things in your life. He's going to do amazing things in your finances. I want to share a story with you. We've started this campaign as we're getting ready to possibly purchase this building. And in this campaign, we've challenged people to step up and invest their time and their treasure, their talents, and be a part of something bigger than than themselves. And so we've challenged everybody to pledge and and to make pledge faith pledges throughout the the rest of this year to uh, to January. Eddie and I went, we talked to a bank this week and we were sharing with the banker what's going on and he said, well, how's your campaign going? I said, well, so far we have about 75,000 pledged, which is actually wrong because since I talked to him Monday or Tuesday, that's gone up to about 86,000 pledged. And he said, oh, wow, that's awesome. He said, over two or three years? And I said, no, six months. Wow, six months, that's incredible. And so I've watched these pledges come in. And Mike, Mike Mahez has got a testimony, man. And we're going to share that soon. Because just things that God's doing in his life is just powerful. I, I wrote him. I texted him this week. I was praying over him. And I was like, man, I just want you to know I'm proud of you, dude. I'm proud of you. This guy, can I share your, a little bit? This guy, a few months ago, struggled with giving, period. He was like, Karen can give, but not my money. Okay, I, you know, she can give her money, not my money, right? And he began to just trust God. And when we got ready to talk about this campaign, I just mentioned it one day to him. And he said, well, I'm going to pledge $1,000 for sure right now. The first pledge that came in was Mike. He's been praying for, for God to open up a door. He's been wanting to get back in the restaurant business, open up a restaurant. And he just got a huge opportunity that just happened this week. But you know, before he got that opportunity, you know what he did? He gave away his car. He gave his car to us. Isn't that ridiculous? That's dumb. Isn't that powerful? That's just one of the testimonies. But people have been stepping out in faith. And Crystal, I want you to come up here. And people have been making pledges and stepping out and just trusting God with their finances. And Crystal has been faithful. She has been faithful in this. And she texted me this week and she was like, Pastor, I got to tell you, you're not going to believe what happened. And I just want you to tell them about the job, just the job part. So a couple of months ago, I applied for a new position with my company. Um, it was going to take like a like five, six months, like extensive training to transition. And the person that was going to take go. over me, sorry, That's the person good. that was going to take over me was going to take like two to three months to train. So it was looking like October, like something ridiculous that it was going to take me to get in this new position. Well, they called me last week and they said, hey, we want you to come in for an interview. Um, during the interview process, it, it just so happened to be the next, we gave our first half of our, a part of the pledge on Sunday. They called me in to come in on Tuesday. And during the process, they said that within six months, or we're, you're guaranteed a raise in six months, and it was double the pledge. That we've given. She said, she calls me and she says, Pastor Jared, you gotta, you gotta hear this. I got a promotion. I got a raise. 
they had pledged, can I tell you what your pledge was? They pledged $6,000. That's an awesome pledge. They pledged $6,000. And, and last week they gave their first $500 to this pledge. The next day, a couple days later, she gets this promotion. And I'm like, yes, yes, I'm celebrating. Because isn't that awesome? As you're faithful to God, as you're faithful to God, God's faithful to you. And, and you give and you sow and you sow and God gives back. And what's awesome is the principle of sowing and reaping is not a Christian thing. Did you know that? This biblical principle, it's not just for Christians. Sowing, it's just, it's a biblical principle. That's for the whole world. That's why there's some crazy off people that don't even know God. They're blessed. You know why they're blessed? Is they keep sowing. Whoo! So she sows, she gives, and then she gets a raise. And you know what? The part that blessed me and made me just jump, I mean literally jump, I was so excited, is she said, double our pledge. She said, double our pledge. I didn't need her to double her pledge. I don't, first of all, we don't need any of your money. God, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, okay? God's got this, but God is trying to get money through you, okay? As he gets money to you, he wants it to go through you. The more that goes through you, the more that's going to come to you. And so she didn't say, yes, we pledged $6,000. We're giving our tithe. We've already sown our first 500, and now I got a raise and a promotion. Hallelujah, praise God, it's over. She said, double my pledge. What? Do you understand? That's called radical generosity. Radical generosity. And what it's, what it's talking about here is these guys, they go in the camp and they say, you know what? We're being blessed. We're being blessed right now. We could, we could hang on to this blessing and just enjoy it. But it's not just for us to hang on to. There are people that got to hear the gospel. The kingdom of God has got to be advanced. We've got to share this. And that's exactly what she did. She said, we've got to share this. We've got to share this. Come on, would you give Crystal a big hand? Isn't that powerful? When she told me that, I got to tell you, the most exciting part was that she doubled. She doubled. Doubled. It's not about the amount of giving. It's about the amount of sacrifice. It's not even about giving. It's the sacrifice of your time. Did you know what? There's, there's areas that we need help in this church. Next week at 9.15 in the room, Eddie, Pastor Eddie and TJ are going to be meeting with people. We need technical help. Did you know that TJ and Ruben and Jose and these guys, they've been running our sound and lights for a whole year and a half. That, that TJ's never got to come in here and sit and just be a part of service. He's always running the projector, always running the, the screens. We just need help. We need volunteers some places. We need help in our kids' ministry. We got a new kids' pastor that I'll announce to you guys in a week or two that'll be here the first week of August. Our new kids' pastors are going to be here. And I told him, I said, we're going to need to get you some help. We're going to need to get you some help. We need some volunteers to say, you know what? I want to be a part of kids' ministry. I want to grow our kids. We need help. This gift, everything that God's given you, is for you to share God wants to do crazy, crazy, miraculous things. So I prophesy to you in 24 hours, God can turn things around. Do you believe that? So whatever your situation is, come on, close your eyes right now. I want you to think about your situation, things that you're going through, things that you're in need of. 
things that you're in need of, things that you're saying, man, I really need God to intervene. I need God to do something. I want you to think about that right now. And I prophesy over your life that in 24 hours, 24 hours, you can see things turn around. That's impossible. How in the world can God do that? God can do it. First of all, you have to listen to the right message. You have to resist the voices of doubt and unbelief. You have to make a decision to do something. And you have to share. Share the gift. Share what God's doing in your life with everybody around you. So I want you to get that in your head right now. Whatever it is. Whatever your situation is. And I want you to just declare right now. That God's going to intervene on your behalf. That God's going to do something. In 24 hours, He's going to turn it around. Come on. We do that just right now where you are. Just pray. God, I'm giving this to you. I'm giving this to you, and I'm believing when it's absolutely impossible. I'm going to get rid of this victim's mentality, and I'm going to have the mentality of just these four lepers. When they looked around and they saw that there was no hope, but they said, you know what? we got to do something. We can't just sit here and die. We can't just sit here and watch our marriage fall apart. We can't just sit here and watch our family fall apart. We can't just sit here and watch our finances or our job fall apart. We've got to do something. Father, I pray right now, Jesus. God, I pray right now over every single situation. I pray over every life, God. Lord, you see and you know and you understand exactly what it is. God, and I declare the word of the Lord right now. God, I declare the word of the Lord right now. Lord, I declare a double portion anointing on each each and every household. God, I pray for raises and bonuses, God. Lord, I pray for breakthroughs in their marriages. Lord, I pray for healings in their bodies, God. Lord, I pray for just supernatural abundance, Lord. God, that you'll step into the situation and that you'll make something that seems so dark and and desperate and full of despair, God, that you'll turn it around immediately, God. That you'll put your super on our natural and we'll see some crazy, awesome things happen. God, do something in our life. Do something in our life. Do something in every single family in this place, God. Lord, we believe right now that there's going to be a turnaround. There's a turnaround for for people right now that's going to start taking place. That as we pray this prayer, you're you're making a sound of an army. The, the, The pattering of of hooves on the ground, Lord, and the enemy is going to begin to run out of that situation. He's going to run out of that that moment that we're praying about, Jesus. God, and we're going to see a victory, a miraculous victory take place. And we believe that, God. We believe that. Come on, give God a hand clap of praise. Do you believe it this morning? Do you believe it? Come on, do you believe it this morning? Come on, give God a hand clap. Declare that over you. I believe it. I believe it's going to happen. It's going to happen right now. In Jesus' name.